recording for you. <laughs> I'm Danny. I'm Tyler. And this is episode 60 yeah. of Fried Squirms. I'm excited. Oh, I am too. Yeah, super excited. We've been talking about this one for a while. We have. We intentionally put it off till we were past 50. We figured this would be a good episode for number 60. Good film to review, especially. So this week we will be talking about The Cabin in the Woods. So stoked that we're doing this film. And we've mentioned it, like you said, several times before. And what better way to celebrate it than with our number 60? Right. Now before we go into it... I was going to say news for the week, but I think I had something else saved. I don't even fucking remember what it was, because <laughs> the big thing is that we almost didn't record today, because I was almost in tears the entire day. No kidding. Because, goddamn, Kevin Smith had a heart attack last night. Thankfully, he fucking survived it. I mean, we've pointed out on this podcast before that it basically wouldn't exist without Kevin Smith. You're I'm a huge Kevin Smith right. fanboy, a devotee of, like, four of his different podcasts, and that was definitely the main inspiration for me to start podcasting, to rope you into this eventually, to now be here 60 episodes later. And so we're just uh, really thankful that you're still with us, Kevin. Amen. I know you're that. not listening to this. Might cause, be. Because you're, you know, resting up in the hospital. Oh, yeah, for sure. So get your rest, then come back to listening to us, because of course Kevin Smith listens to us. Why wouldn't he? We listen to him. <laughs> but no, you're right. I'm glad that you pulled through and... Took the precaution of not doing his second show last night. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing the show today, and we probably wouldn't. Yeah, have I would have called around. it off. I probably would have called into work tomorrow. No, I right? Would have been a wreck. Jesus Christ, man! Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about that earlier too. As like, you know, we've mentioned and you've mentioned just as well how much of an influence he is to the show, and not only that, but just some of the films that we watch and some of our sense of humor, things of that nature. You know. Exactly. And how much we're looking forward to some of his shit to come, which wouldn't come if he dies. So don't die. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. And keep making shit, but fucking get better. I agree. That's the most important thing. Just get back to health. Get back to health. It sounds like he might be considering going full vegan. I saw that. It's like big ups. I'm pretty sure his daughter's vegan. I think his wife is vegetarian, but I'm not sure if she's full vegan. Yeah. I just... A couple of cheese slices away from going there. Yeah. I mean, not like that's a bad thing. I'm just saying we'll see what happens. But yeah, exactly. Well, at least he's, he's not, concerned I'm just, about yeah. his health. I'm just glad he's not dead. That's the big thing. Exactly. So. so with that, outside of you know that big nugget, the only thing I'd have to contribute is I have picked up a few more films. I'm excited because I've got a few more coming in. And then I'm thinking we're going to put a pause on some of the collecting because it's becoming a little Dude, overwhelming. Some box sets are <laughs> dope. Get pictures up I on will. Instagram. I've been lazy about it. But they're coming. Yeah, you've definitely been picking up some cool stuff. I've been holding back. But I think my tax return should be in here soon, so Holla. we should at least start... Oh, yeah, filling the walls. Yeah, I'll start pimping the walls out, yes. out a little bit, at least, with some of that money. So I'm well, pretty yeah, excited about that. We're going to get on top of it. It's still early in the year, but, you know, it's sneaking up on us, too. But with that, I say let's get into the guts and bolts. Oh, dude, number 60. Of episode 60, Cabin in the Woods talk about what goes into the making of this movie kind of we're gonna get there this is gonna be an interesting one Let's i agree do this.
Guts and Bolts. Guts and Bolts, episode 60. If you're new, Guts and Bolts, it's what goes into this. Spoiler free. Spoiler free. Which means with this movie, we can say very little about it. That's true. In this section. So, with that being said, I think a good way to lead off is with a brief synopsis. Oh, God. Okay. I've been trying to think about how to describe this movie because there's so many ways to describe it that could lead to just all of the spoilers. I would like to maybe see if this will work because it's actually the tagline, which I think probably doesn't spoil too much. Right. I was trying to think of something other than the tagline. That's what I was going to fall back yeah. on, too. So, the tagline for this, and there's a lot of them, but I think the one that's more appropriate for this film are five students go to a cabin in the woods, bad things happen. Now, for something maybe a little bit more specific, I was trying to think, and I would say Evil Dead mixed with a office-setting comedy of errors for dire stakes. Oh, yeah, that's a good way, too, because there's... Man, there's so much going on in this film. I don't want to quite dive into it quite yet like that, you know? But I am ready for it. While also being extremely meta. Oh, it's, man, this movie's so, so meta. meta. Just all the meta. Yeah, it was great watching it, too, knowing that. And that's maybe a little bit more specific as to what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. I would agree. But I think still a bit open-ended. Like I said, we honestly want to try to keep this section spoiler-free, so it's really hard to talk <laughs> about this movie. Holy no shit, especially... You if and you've I seen this, this before, you probably know how hard we're dancing around this, just thinking about this movie in your That's head. That's true. We're not trying to cause too much of a stir. <laughs> but you and I talked about the fact that there's going to be some of the cast members, too, where we have to be very diligent with our words. So true. Speaking of which, let's start getting into who made this movie, Okay, I guess. I'll lead off, of course, with our director for this film. And this gentleman is Drew Goddard. This is his directorial debut. Now, I will say this. There was a little bit of struggle with that. But anywho, Mr. Goddard is an American film and television screenwriter, director, and producer. Apparently, he began his career as a writer on television series such as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Alias, and Lost. He started getting recognition for writing the successful monster horror film, Cloverfield, from 2008. Like I said, he made his directorial debut with this film in 2015. He won a science fiction screenplay award for The Martian, which garnered him the National Board of Review Award for Best Adapted Screenplay and received a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. Now, I wrote down some of the things that he directed because I'm talking about his director. I was going to say, there's something that I'm always going to love Drew Goddard for, and he wrote and directed the first two episodes of the Marvel Netflix Daredevil. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. Episode number two basically being what set the tone for the rest of the Netflix series to follow. Had the amazing fucking hallway fight, which, fuck you, I don't care if you're not, like, into superheroes and shit. Episode two of the first season of Daredevil is absolutely fantastic. He ends up, in the very end, going and saving this kid from this group of thugs in this building with this just insane single shot i think that they actually like fudged it and there was a couple takes in there but they uh, pulled up it's well. essentially this like four minute single take fucking fight wow. in this hallway that is absolutely insane way to go drew goddard I hell yeah you. i love you <laughs> here's something that i know you're gonna enjoy hearing this is drew goddard's also responsible for directing 
two episodes of The Good Place. He directed the pilot, and he directed the episode Dance Dance Resolution. He's also directed X-Force. And, or he's going to be directing oh yes, X-Force. And uh, I believe Bad Times at the El Royale as well. So those are some of his director credits. Now, he also wrote this particular movie along with his partner, Josh Whedon. Joss Whedon. Yeah, Joss Whedon. Now, Joss Whedon is a pretty big name, too. I want to mention Drew Goddard's few of the things that he wrote, and then we'll get back to Joss. So, Drew Goddard, we mentioned he wrote for Buffy, The Vampire Slayer, the television series Angel, Lost. He also wrote for the screenplay for uh, World War Z, which I just recently picked up. I mentioned The Martian, and you had mentioned Daredevil. Now, back to Joss. Joss is a big name as well. And with Joss... He is also a screenwriter, a director, a producer, a comic book writer, and a composer. Now, this is really cool. I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but he's the founder of Mutant Enemy Productions and co-founder of Bellwether Pictures, and uh, he's known for several of his television series that he created. I should mention Buffy the Vampire Slayer from 97 to 2003, the show Angel from 99 to 2004, Firefly in 2002, Dollhouse from 2009 and 10, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. With some of his writing, this is where he starts hitting home runs because he co-wrote the Pixar animated film Toy Story from 1995. Did an uncredited rewrite on Waterworld, which I love that movie. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? He wrote and directed the Firefly film continuation Serenity in 2005. He co-wrote and directed the internet miniseries Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. Dude, Dr. Horribles is the shit. I yeah? fucking love Dr. Horrible's sing-along vlog. There's an interesting story there, too. He did that with his brothers during the writer's okay. strike and shit. That would make sense, yeah, during that time period. Apparently, he also wrote and directed the Marvel Cinematic Universe superhero films The Avengers from 2012 and its sequel, Avengers Age of Ultron from Which, 2015. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> and he also co-wrote the script for the DC Extended Universe superhero film Justice League. And was the director on all the reshoots on it. Yep, as well. Let me see if I had any other things with Mr. Whedon. Because like I said, he's worked on some really cool... Oh, okay, here we go. He directed two episodes of The Office, one of which he almost didn't do because he kind of thought that they were typecasting him a little bit. Yeah. Because it was the episode where Jim makes Dwight think he's turning into a vampire. (laughs) Shit, that's awesome. When the reality was, it was random happenstance that he ended up being lined up with that episode. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, I mentioned, you know, several times, and I'll get back into this, but I like to go back in the film credits, and Joss wrote for Roseanne, the television series. He also wrote for Parenthood, part of the television series. I mentioned Buffy, Toy Story. He also helped write Alien Resurrection, Titan AE, Atlantis, we had mentioned before with our uh, Scared Stupid episode, The Lost Empire, and yeah, some of the other credits I mentioned before. So, I mean, he's got some really cool credits to his name, man. There's no doubt about it. So those are our writers, Drew and Mr. Whedon. Our cinematographer, I think I told you this before, like, I'm fucking blown away with this gentleman's credits. It's unreal. This might be the biggest name on the project, in my opinion. Well... Given Mr. Whedon's status, the internet might disagree with you on that. I'm okay with that. Taking a look at his credits. There's some interesting polls on there, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. So our cinematographer for The Cabin in the Woods is Peter Deming. And the reason I am blown away with Mr. Deming is I'm going to start listing off some films. And I could go on and on and on and on about a lot of them, but let's go ahead and do this. So 
he's known for doing the DP work on Evil Dead Part 2. Then he jumped to House Party in 1990. A little favorite of mine, Drop Dead Fred. Ooh, good pull. Good um, pull. You might know my cousin. His okay. name is Co- My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did My Cousin Vinny. I mentioned I'm a big fan of the weasel. The weasel. Yeah. So, <laughs> so son-in-law. Son-in-law, right? Loaded Weapon. We talked about Emilio and um, Danny Glover. There you go. I'm a huge fan of Joe's Apartment. Love Joe's Apartment. This is a big name in cinema because right here from Missoula, Mon fucking Tana. He was the cinematographer on David Lynch's Lost Highway in 1997. Then he started doing big films like Austin Powers, The International Man of Mystery. He started working with Wes Craven. He did Scream 2 in 97. Yeah, and And 3. And 4. He also did the hockey movie Mystery Alaska with Russell Crowe. Oh, shit, I remember that one. Yeah, dude. Then he went on to do Mulholland Drive again with David Lynch. He did From Hell, another Austin Powers movie, and Goldmember. I mean, I Heart Huckabees. Yeah, dude. Sam Raimi. I Heart Huckabees, The Jacket, which is a really good film, Oz and the Great and Powerful, Now You See Me Part 2, he started directing uh, some of the episodes on the reboot of Twin Peaks from this past season, and uh, slated to be the DP for The New Mutants. Which looks good so far. Yeah, so... I wish that it wouldn't have gotten delayed, because the trailer that they did put out, it had me, so... I was telling... uh, And it fits in, because it looked like a horror movie. Yeah. I was telling a listener of ours, Jeff... My brother-in-law, I was like, it's kind of unique when I looked at Mr. Deming's DP work. And mm-hmm. I was like, I like dichotomy. I like kind of, you know, the play of duality because I love horror films. I love comedy. That's my two favorite genres. And when you look at his body of work, it's mostly a sprinkling of horror and comedy. So it's like, nice. That's why I'm familiar with his work and, you know, thoroughly impressed. So, yeah, man. Peter Deming's our DP. Our editor is Elisa Lassick. She worked on a lot of projects with uh, Whedon and Goddard. She helped edit some episodes for Buffy, the television series, Firefly, True Calling, the film Serenity. She also did some work on Pushing Daisies, the television series, Community, the television series, The Avengers, Age of Ultron, and The Circle. Our music composer for this film is David Julian. He's worked on some really cool projects, man. He's worked with Christopher Nolan, that is, he did the films Memento, and he worked on a Pacino film, Insomnia. He worked on The Descent. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, movie. The Prestige. Uh, also, I think Descent is coming to Netflix this Ooh, month. That's a good film. Yeah. It's a good one. When we're in between, I ran into a list of all that's coming, and there's a couple things that you're going to be interested in. So we'll talk about that. Nice. Hell yeah. In a little bit. <laughs> okay, so I did mention The Prestige. A little film that I like, too, man. It's kind of a little brutal, man. It's a film called Eden Lake. He's okay. also done work on the film Outlaw and The Crucifixion. All right. Okay, so moving along, we've got our special effects team. Now, there are some Ooh, big names on this. this is interesting. Yeah, we kind of winked at each other on this. All right, so our effects teams are AFX Studios. Put a uh, little pin mark next to that name. They help with the special makeup effects on the film. We have Rhythm and Hue Studios. They help with the visual effects. Perpetual Motion Pictures help with the visual effects as well. And Image Engine Design, they help with the pre-visualization of this film, and they were uncredited for that work. But we'll get back to AFX Studios because they have three names, one in particular. we can't, man... In order to stay away from spoilers, yeah, I'm not we can't mention really mention said. exactly what all of these people did, mm-hmm. but I want to say huge shout-outs to them, because yeah. without them, the final ten minutes of this film 
It's pretty awesome. All right, so the three names I want to mention are David Leroy Anderson. He was the special makeup effects designer for a lot of the characters in the film. Now, why do I mention him? Because he's actually the husband of a screen queen legend, and that name is Heather Lankenkamp, better known as Nancy, from a little film series called The Nightmare on Elm Street we might have done. Who co-owns AFX <laughs> with her husband. Yeah, so she was also uh, a part of the special makeup effects on this, and her father-in-law, David's father, Lance, Anderson was also a part of the special makeup effects crew for AFX Studio. Now, they were heavily responsible for a lot of the design work on a lot of these characters that we'll mention later on in the film. But, yeah, I was like, man, that's a pretty impressive body of names, especially Heather Lagenkamp. I had no idea that she was in this special makeups, but knowing that her husband's a makeup effects artist makes perfect sense. Okay, so our producer on this film is Joss Whedon. Our production companies are Lionsgate. They help present this film. I didn't mention Mutant Enemy Productions. MGM and United Artists were uncredited. Apparently MGM went bankrupt, and there was a big delay in this film getting released until Lionsgate picked it up. They had seen, I guess, you know, it's sitting on the shelf. Somebody had viewed it, maybe members of Lionsgate, and they liked it and pushed for its release. Yeah, so filming on this movie took place in 2009. Yeah, early so it, 2009. it had been out for... Spring 2009, and then didn't get released till 2012. Unfortunately, it's not uncommon to have some films sit on the shelf, regardless of how good they are. I mean, it shit happens, unfortunately. But it makes for a very interesting situation with one of the stars of this <laughs> it movie. It does, considering it totally does. I mean, should we jump over to that real quick? I mean, we can. I've got just a few more notes on, okay. on this yeah. part, and we can kind of breeze right to that. I'll breeze this. Distributors, I mentioned Lionsgate. They picked it up. They helped with the United Kingdom's and the United States of America's theatrical release in 2012. The budget was an estimated $30 million here for the States. Opening weekend, as of April 15th, 2012, made $14.7 million here in the States. It grossed $42 million overall in the United States, and when you account for worldwide, it brought in $70.7 million, so that's more than double its money. The release date, it was officially screened at the South by Southwest Film Festival down in Austin, Texas, March 9th, 2012. It also had a film festival appearance in Atlanta on March 31st, 2012. April 1st, 2012, it was premiered at the Dead by Dawn Horror Film Festival in the United Kingdom, and then it got a worldwide release on April 13th, 2012. I mentioned the tagline, five friends go to a cabin in the woods, bad things happen. All right, now we can get to the cast, and I know who you want to talk about. So, 2009, this gets filmed with an, at the time, pretty much undiscovered actor. Still wet behind the ears. No puns intended either, considering where he's from. Chris Hemsworth. Yes. Better known to many as Thor. <laughs> Motherfucking Thor. It's pretty and awesome. And so this movie didn't come out till after he was Thor, which is kind of interesting, because he's kind of tiny in this compared to... Oh, yeah, considering what, what he is what now. we're used to seeing him for the last five years, and had one of the biggest movies of last year yeah. in the third Thor movie. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Not to mention, you know, his parts in the Avengers movies, which just make all of the money and everybody goes to see them. Yeah, he's making a lot of people happy. And it was dailies from this movie that got him the callback for Thor mm -hmm. and locked him in for the lead in the reboot of Red Dawn. 
Yeah, I remember hearing that and seeing that. And that was another film that also got pushed back. And Thor came out before both of these films. And I mean, seriously, at this point, just because of the Avengers alone, is there anybody who doesn't know who fucking Chris Hemsworth is? Do we? I would hope not. But just in case, I did write down a few credits that if you haven't seen him as Thor, no, he did some work on a franchise called Star Trek. I was gonna say, so that was the first time I saw him. <laughs> yeah, was me Star too. Trek as George Kirk in the very beginning. Yep. And his like four minutes in that movie almost had me crying. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. Isn't it? With his, you know, knowing he's gonna die and his like last message to his fucking wife and oh my god. And yeah. he kills it. He's so good in that four minutes. He's a really good actor, man. All right, so, uh, well, you got to see that, right? Came out in 09. We had mentioned he's a part of the Avengers. You might have seen him in Snow White and the Huntsman. He was in a Ron Howard directed, it was a critically acclaimed film called Rush. It was about, I think, F1 Formula drivers. Mm. Yeah. Um, he was also in the film Vacation, and then he was in a quite critiqued film in ghostbusters the reboot from 2016 uh yeah which let's just not talk about just talking about that movie online makes people instantly hate oh me. i mean it's like a trip i haven't actually seen it i've seen it i haven't i haven't not seen it for I mean, any reason though i mean i just hell? haven't seen it i understand there's there's purists. only so many hours in the in the day there are all i'll say about that is i enjoy the original franchises as much as anybody else i watched a little bit of the reboot it's not bad you know don't anticipate it to be what the originals are. That's all I'm saying about that. Which, the originals, parts of that don't age that well either. No, man. Going I mean, back to them. 30 I mean plus they're years classics ago. and they're never But they have their faults, are, man. But there's faults when you go back to them. Okay, so that's what I have for Crimson Hemsworth, who now is fucking Thor. We didn't mention. All right. Our, I guess our lead actress in this film is Kristen Connolly. She plays the character Dana. Now, Kristen has been on some pretty interesting soap operas. She did some work on The Guiding Light from 2008. She worked on the film Revolutionary Road. I think that's where she kind of got some recognition. She also worked on another soap opera, As the World Turns. In 2009, she worked on the film The Bay. She was also in Ex-Girlfriends. Then she started doing work on House of Cards, The Whispers, and the television series Zoo. So that's some of the credit I had for Miss Connolly. Our next actress I had in this film is a New Zealand actress, actually. It's Anna Hutchison. She plays Jules. She started off doing some work on a big, <laughs> weird television series, mm-hmm. a little franchise called Power Rangers, Jungle <laughs> Fury. <laughs> I had her written down for that. She was also on the television series Underbelly, Wild Boys. She did work on Spartacus, War of the Damned. The only season I haven't watched. Me too. I have seen a couple seasons. And she was also on the television series Anger Management. Another name that works a lot with, I think it's, is it Joss Whedon? Mm-hmm. Is... Fran Krenz. Now he plays the stoner character that Tyler and I would probably recognize most with in our character Marty. Now he's worked on some really cool films. Honestly, what I recognize him most from, Darko. I was going to say that, man. Because I think that was one of his first credits was in Donnie Darko. He moved on to do some work in the movie Training Day, which was kind of a big deal, man, if you like those kind of films with Denzel. He was also in the comedy Orange County he was a part of the film The Village. Now, there was another film I had written down, because I think I might have seen him in this one, which is not a... M. Night Shyamalan's The Village? Yeah. <laughs> but this film I'm going to mention is called Bickford Schmeckler's Cool Ideas. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it has Patrick Fugit in that film. And it's oh, pretty I like decent. Patrick Fugit. 
Yeah, and I think it's just basically like a collection of notebook ideas that this dude had, and it gets lost on a college campus, and they're on the hunt for it, and of course it has some cool ideas in there. Hmm. He doesn't want people to know. Fran has also done work on Rise, Blood Hunter, Dollhouse, the television series, the film Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Roderick Rules, and The Dark Tower, which yeah, is another just, one that's like... I was like, just looking through his filmography here, and there's not much stuff I would actually know him from, but... All right, our next actor... I do recognize him as being the passenger in Donnie Darko, though. I do too, man, which is kind of neat. I didn't realize that until I started looking at his credits. All right, Jesse Williams plays Holden, which kind of rounds out the five I'd mentioned earlier in the uh, credits. So that's the five students. Jesse Williams plays Holden. Jesse has done work on the film Brooklyn's Finest. One of my favorite franchises, Dirty Dancing Part 3. Oh, I thought you were going to say Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants Part 2. Which I was. I was, but I didn't want to admit that one. That's why I didn't write it down. Uh, there's something that need to be secret. He also got recognitions for his work on Lee Daniels, the butler. He did some work on Grey's Anatomy, I think from this particular year, 2018. And he's also worked on... I don't know if I how I feel about this, but I think he has a big part in the remake of, of Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder, and I was like, man, I don't know about that, dude. I love Tim Robbins, and you get Macaulay Culkin in that film. <sighs> Sorry. All right, there's two gentlemen. We'll mention their names, their characters' names. That's all I'm going to say about that. I just don't understand remaking Jacob's Ladder. That movie's not even 30 years old yet. I think that's one you shouldn't even fuck with. It's just, it's one of those, it's classic. It's a great film. It hits all the points. You don't need to remake it. All right. This is a gentleman I started thinking about. The reason being because we've mentioned him on at least three of the last four episodes that we've done. (laughs) And this gentleman is Richard Jenkins. He plays Gary Sitterson in the film. This honestly just turned into like a month of Jenkins for us, dude. It has, man. All right. So the films, the reason why I say the last three of the four, he was in Bone Tomahawk, right? And then right after we get done doing Bone Tomahawk... We watched him in The Shape of Water. That's right. And now we're talking about him again. So at least three of the last four or five films we've seen, he's been in them. <laughs> so yeah, Richard, Dick he's Jenkins been, month. We, we've watched him in something different once, at least once yeah. a week for the past month. We have nothing on my... Absolutely, know, not accidentally. Yeah, I had no idea planned. he was in Bone Tomahawk. I didn't either. I'd forgotten that it was him and Bradley Whitford in this. I just yeah. remember that it was two guys. That's a good point. I did watch this more recently, and so I, you know, I knew that he was in it, and especially Bradley Whitford for a big bad reason, which we'll mention here in a minute. Richard Jenkins, I'll just mention a few. We did mention The Shape of Water. He was in The Visitor. He was in Step Brothers. He was also in the remake of Let the Right One In, and the remake it was called Let Me In. We mentioned Bone Tomahawk, and he was the father on the television series, HBO television series, that is Six Feet Under. Those are some of the film credits. If you want to know some more, go back to our Bone Tomahawk episode. We've mentioned it before in that. All right, mentioned Bradley Whitford, another big name. He plays Steve Hadley in this film. The reason why we mentioned him is because we did an episode, a doubleheader actually, with Get Out and Green Room, and he is was in Get Out. Dean Armitage in Get Out. Yeah, and I look back at his film catalog because I like to Madison. do that. Billy Madison. We did mention that before. <laughs> I'll even go further back than that. Uh, Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah, buddy. That's probably where I first had seen him. Because I, I watched that a lot in the 80s, not going to lie. It was uh, a family favorite. Young Guns 2. I had that written down. Another one I had seen, too, as a kid. Probably didn't recognize him. RoboCop 3. Revenge of the Nerds Part 2. Oh. 
That was a good guess, though, because he was also in RoboCop Part 3. Philadelphia? He was in that. He was also in NYPD Blue. He was a big character on the television series The West Wing. He's also part of the television series Good Guys. We mentioned Get Out. And he's also a part of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which I think is an upcoming. Mm -hmm. I would imagine it's probably going to be a big fucking hit if it's done right. All right, so those are the two dudes. I also had another dude written down. His name is Brian White. He plays Daniel Truman. So Brian White has done work in the films Brick. He got some recognition for his work in The Family Stone. He started doing work on the television series The Shield. He was also part of Beauty and the Beast, the television series. There was one from the late 80s, early 90s. Not that one. I guess it was one that was more recent. He's also worked on Chicago Fire, the television series, and Ray Donovan, which we've mentioned before. Right. Yeah. Man, Brick is so good. Brick uh, is dope. And this playing at the Roxy, it just mentioned, yeah. Oh, yeah. And me and Patrick, who has been on this show in The Shining oh, episode, yeah. man, we were just talking about that the other day it's and basically film, sucking yeah. it off because that movie's just fantastic. It is. Good Joseph Gordon-Levitt film. Right. Yeah, man. All right. Our next actress in this film is Amy Acker. Now, she's also done some extensive work with Mr. Whedon. Now, she plays Wendy Lynn, the character in this film. You might have seen her in the film Catch Me If You Can, maybe on the television series Angel. She also did some work on Justice League Unlimited, the television series. She did some work on Alias, Dollhouse, and Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated television series, which I thought was kind of cool. Sigourney Weaver is in this film. I won't mention her character quite yet, but from what I watched, I watched a little bit of some behind-the-making-of stuff, and Drew Goddard said basically he only wanted her. I know they had mentioned in some of the trivia somebody else they wanted, but they got Sigourney, and they said with her character, she became obsessed with another character in this film, which I'll mention later on, but they said just her presence alone, like invigorated the cast because she was like every day on set she was looking for this particular character Mm. and yeah they just really enjoyed having her on set and she did a really good job now Sigourney Weaver for those who don't know they should know is a part of some major franchises one in particular Alien yeah she plays Ripley in Alien how can you not know that (laughs) right now she's also done work in the films Galaxy Quest Galaxy Quest Gorillas in the Mist Ghostbusters Part Galaxy 2. Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. I'm just going to keep saying Galaxy <laughs> Quest because that movie's fantastic. Yeah. She, she was also in Snow White, A Tale of Terror. What was that film you just mentioned? Galaxy Quest? Galaxy She Quest. was in Galaxy Quest. She was also in a film we had just mentioned again because of Ernest Scared Stupid. Eartha Kitt was in a film with her in Holds. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of funny in a way, too, because we just mentioned Ray Donovan had John Voight in it. Digging up them holes. Digging, digging up them holes. She done work on Wall-E. wall The animated film. It was a good film. She also did work on Avatar. You're right. Ooh, yeah, she did. Huge. She also was in the Simon Pegg film, Paul, which I need to revisit. Pretty sure she was in Galaxy Quest. Yeah, did we mention Galaxy Quest? Because she was in that. Okay. She was also in the film Choppy. Okay. Which is, I liked it, man. Hugh Jackman's in it. Die Antwerp is in it. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. Ghostbusters, the reboot, she was in that as well. And she was also part of the television series, The Defenders. Oh, she was good in The Defenders. I liked her in The Defenders. Yeah, so, I mean, Scorny Weaver, she's known for being, like, the actress's actress. 
She has a tall stature. She's like almost six feet tall. So she always gets these kind of empowering women figure characters. And she, man, she kicks ass. Tony yeah, Weaver's does. awesome. Oh, she kicks so much ass. Yeah, man. So I'm glad she's in this film. Tim DeZarn plays the character of Mordecai in this film. And apparently he got the part because he did a bit involving a dollar getting stuck in a vending machine. And he had this like really interesting dialogue that got really, I think, existential. <laughs> so anyhow, they cast him as Mordecai in the film. Now, I wrote down some of his credits. Pretty interesting. He worked on the television series Quantum Leap, which, thank you, Buck, who's another listener of ours. He gave me the first, third, and fourth seasons of Quantum Leap in a box set, which is really cool. He also was in the Tales from the Crypt movie Demon Knight. You might have seen him in Lady Killer. Steel, which is a Shaquille O'Neal film. He was also in Fight Club, Gone in 60 Seconds, Spider-Man, and the television series Six Feet Under. I did want to mention a few of these. He was also a part of the Star Trek franchise because he was in some episodes of The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. He was also a part of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning, which is... As being a giant Sons of Anarchy fan, yeah, I recognize well. him from the uh, episode AK-51, where he plays Nate Meneke, and he's part of like a right-wing group that gets a hold of that uh, Piney sells some of the guns to, and then they end up shooting up a cop. Oh, and, shit. So they have to go deal with the group, because the guns could be traced back to the club. Hmm, not good. No, not I good I might have all. seen him in some of those, possibly that one. He was also part of Deadwood, the television series. No, I have some Canadian actors and actresses coming up because this was filmed in uh, British Columbia. Jodel Furland, she plays a part of a family. That's all I'm going to say about that. There's a family in this film, the Buckner family, a good group of people. The best. The best. The kind that you want as your next-door neighbors. So Jodel Furland, she plays Anna Patience Buckner. Now, Jodel has done some work on a little film that was adapted from a video game franchise. She was in Silent Hill which I thought was kind of neat. She was also in the animated film Case 39. She was in a Jessica Biel horror film, The Tall Man, which I don't even know if it has Angus Scrim in it. If it doesn't, it shouldn't be called that. Right? Yeah, that's how I feel about it. She was also in Tideland. She was in the film They. She was a part of a small franchise involving a small superhero in Smallville. You might have seen it. Maybe not. She was also a part of Dark Matter. She was in a television series, Dead Like Me pilot episode as well as the pilot of supernatural yeah which is really cool she was also in kingdom hospital as well did you mention since this is a horror podcast she was also in a masters of horror episode oh no i didn't have that she was in the v word Ooh, okay i have seen that and she was in an episode of or episodes of rl stein's the haunting hour yeah there was another person too i think is a part of that there was a few of these people who showed up in some of the same television series because they were filmed in Canada. But I don't know if they were a part of it at the same time as when we get it, or part of the same right. episode. Okay, that's really cool. Good for Jodell. Matt Drake, he played Judah Buckner. He was on the television series Psych. He was in the film Watchmen. And he's also a producer on a lot of stuff. I can't remember all the credits. It wasn't anything that jumped out to me, per se. But I noticed that he does more production work than he does anything else. Dan Payne, he plays Matthew Buckner in the film. Ooh, super interesting credit for me. Okay. He's in The Watchmen as Dollar Bill. Yeah, there's another gentleman, too. For like a second as a Dollar Bill. It's pretty cool. There's another gentleman, too, I think, that's on The Watchmen that's coming up. Like I said, Dan Payne was on the television series Smallville. He was also on Dead Like Me. 
He was a part of Stargate SG-1 and also Stargate Atlantis. He was in the Muppets, I think a part of like a couple of their different series. I think that's a Christmas special and another film. He was also in Watchmen. He was in Star Trek Beyond, the film Pathfinder, and he was also in Underworld Awakening. And he was very recently in a show that I very am very devoted to, Legends of Tomorrow, in nice. season two as Obsidian. Booyah! Yeah. Dan Shea plays Father Buckner, probably the best Buckner. He was in the television series MacGyver. He was also in The X-Files. He was also part of Stargate Atlantis and SG-1. He was in the film Red. The television series Smallville. He was also in X-Men Days of Future Past. Supernatural, the television series. And he's also a stuntman. So he's been in a lot of films just doing stunts. Yeah, he was the stunt coordinator on X-Men The Last Stand. I also think he did a lot of uh, stunt work in this film as well, if I'm not mistaken. Maya Massar, she plays Mother Buckner, a warm figure in this film. She was a part of the Unsolved Mysteries television series. She was in the film The Uninvited. She was in Battlestar Caprica. She was also a part of the television series Supernatural. She lent her voice in the video game Fallout Part 4. And she was also a part of Death's Dream. Tom Link is another person who shows up a lot in Joss Whedon productions. He plays an intern in this film. Now, I'll look back on his film credits, and I think his first film credit is in an interesting film. Yeah. John C. Riley. He, Mark he Wahlberg. actually was Mark Wahlberg's fake penis at the end. Boom. No, not really. Maybe that arm. was a fake penis at the end. <laughs> we'll call it that. All right. So, yeah, he was in Boogie Nights. He was also in the television series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He was in Angel, the television series. He was a part of Six Feet Under, the Date movie. I think that's a comedy, if I'm not mistaken. A Jim Carrey film we mentioned before. What's his favorite number? Uh, the number 23. Yeah, because he was in that, number 23. He was also in The Transformers. He was in one of my favorite Ben's. He's in a Ben Affleck film called Argo. He's also in Witches of East End, a television series. Greg Zack, he plays an interesting character. I'll only say its name. He plays a character called Forticus. Lord of bondage and pain. Now, Mr. Zack, spelled with an H, has been a part of the Supernatural television series. Spelled with an H. <laughs> I had Just to make so that you know, I think another M. This Night... This is one of those fucking Zacks. Is one of those Zacks. He was also part of one of those M. Night Shalamalanga Ding Dong television series, Wayward Pines. He was on the television series Arrow, Olympus, and Fringe. So that rounds out my cast, as far as the most important people in this film. There's a lot of people in this film who I'm not mentioning. We'd be here all day with this section, if not. That's true. That's true. Okay, so, so we've already is... mentioned the, the tagline a couple times, because normally we'd end off with that. <laughs> yeah. So, tagline again? Let's just remind the people. Five friends slash students go to a cabin in the woods, period. Bad things happen, period. Yeah. That's exactly this movie. So a warning. God, even the warning's hard. Because the warning like other can things give in this away... <laughs> the warning can give away a lot about this movie. They can. I'll keep it short and to the point. There's language. There's nudity. There's violence. There's gore. There's monsters. That's about it. It's not the most extreme, but it's more than average. Yeah. It lends its hand to a lot of other horror films who've come before it. Let's split the difference. We'll open up this next section. Okay, the How that's Does a good This point. Make You Squeal with just a couple more 
things that you might not want to check out this movie. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. That are kind of that's spoiler-centric. Fair. That's very fair. Okay, so knowing that it is an R-rated film, <laughs> that's about as far as I want to go with it. The gore earns the R. It does. It certainly does. Just Plus like other films we've covered, there's some nice <clears throat> uh, scenes of that. There's some sexy scenes, for sure, in this film. Like I said, there's kids in the cabin. It's called interspecies erotica, fucko. Oh, fucko. Yeah, so think about that. All right. With that, for number 60, The Cabin in the Woods from 2012. Hey, Danny. How does that make you squeal? It makes me squeal all over myself. God, what's happening to me? Oh, God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh, God, what... What's going on? Oh, Jesus, come on. Oh my God, what's, what's going on? Where, where am I? Oh, gee, why, why? Come on, somebody, somebody. Ah, come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Sir, come on, somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's gotta be there. I will shock you. Come on, sir. Come on, sir, you must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? Alright. How'd this make you squeal for Cabin in the Woods? Like I said, we'll start off with just a couple more warnings. Yeah, it was it was hard trying not to say shit. So, considering the end sequence, you should probably also not watch this if you have a fear of snakes. Jeez. <laughs> or large spiders. Yeah. Or ghosts. Or mermen. Or... <laughs> yeah, I know, like... For whatever reasons, unicorns, perhaps? <laughs> if you're chiropterophobic, which would be fear of bats. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, bumps in the night, so to speak, in this film. Things uh, that make zombies, you fucking scary. Yeah, there's a lot of zombies. Killer ghosts. Clowns. Um, home invasion. Yeah. They play in a lot of tropes. That's all I'll say about that. There's a lot of shout-outs to a lot of things. God, I don't even know where to start with this fucking movie. There's lots of things to say about this movie. There are. There's a lot of things that I'm going to reserve right now, but man, this film throws so many nods to so many films. It's I like it just for that sake alone. So I guess first off, I guess my experience with this movie overall, I didn't see it till probably more like 2015 or 16. It had been out for a while by the time I saw it. And Likewise. not for any reason. It was just... There was other things that more interested me whenever the choice was there. That's a good point. And not for any particular reason, but I think it was partially because I didn't realize it was supposed to be so meta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's really cool about it, too. It's once you sit down, take it in, that's when all that stuff starts to flow. You're like, oh, damn, that's... Whoa, yes. But eventually I had enough people be like, dude, you need to watch this movie because this is your thing. Which, by the way... Meta shit, definitely my thing. I think we've pointed it out in the past that that really gets my gears going. (laughs) Kind of just like a fucking... That's good. I'm like a genre junkie. I love classifying things. Not so that they fit in some box, but just because that's how I like thinking about stuff. So I can figure, be like, cool, so this is why this fits as this, and this is what they're doing different. Yeah. It's just a good reference or a good... What it... Simon say a good lantern that you can hang mm-hmm. hang a lantern on. I do that with fucking music, movies. Yeah. I think we all do to an extent. But it's um, fun. I'm just fucking whore about it though. I love just knowing exactly how shit breaks down whenever I can and oh my god. When I finally got around to watching this movie, I was like, Oh shit, yeah, no wonder why people kept telling me yeah. like this is your bag. 
I was like, oh, you're right. This is my bag. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the fun thing, too, about this is for the same reasons I put this film off for a while, finally decided to get a copy of it, watched it, loved it, and probably can't recommend it enough to fans of horror and maybe other genres as well. Now, see, now that's the other thing that uh, I kind of just want to get into right away with this movie is because it was one of the things that struck me from the very beginning, from the very first time I watched this movie anyway. Especially because a lot of this movie is allegory. You realize that, especially in the very end, when you actually see the shape of the Ancient Ones. Yeah, you do. If that doesn't give it away, we'll get into that here oh, in a yeah, minute. For, but for certain. So some of the people that recommended this movie to me, I'm not going to name any names, especially because I probably don't even remember who they all were at this point. Because <laughs> I had a lot of people recommend this movie to me. Right. You know, I just have a lot of friends that are into horror, thank God. But a lot on different levels of horror, as we've talked about. I don't like saying non-true fans or whatever, because they fucking love it just as much as, as anybody else. But I think we all know horror fans that love the horror genre, but the only things they watch are whatever horror movies currently making the most at the box office, which isn't always the, the best, best horror yeah. movie. It's just what's hot right now. Mm -hmm. So it's more along the mainstream. And I had a number of people that I know are more that kind of viewer recommend this movie to me. Well, that says a lot about this film. And I found that very strange because this movie kind of shits on that kind of viewer. It does. And what I found interesting, just reading some things that Whedon and Goddard had to say about this particular genre, and we're talking about horror... Is that they felt that... Oh, I bet. I think I have the quote. Yeah, I mean, it's right. interesting. I'll let you quote it, but it, essentially... Well, I'll let you say it. I'll let you say it. Yeah, so this, I mean, I think this shows a lot about the ideas that went into making this movie. And if you watched it and feel like you didn't understand this, this alone might help put you into the right mindset for it. And Joss Whedon had a quote, On another level, it's a serious critique of what we love and what we don't about horror movies. I love being scared. I love that mixture of thrill, of horror, that objectification, identification thing of wanting definitely for the people to be alright, but at the same time hoping they'll go somewhere dark and face something awful. The things I don't like are kids acting like idiots. The devolution of horror movie into torture porn and into a long series of sadistic comeuppances. Drew and I both felt that the pendulum had swung a little too far in that direction. And, you know, I think that's a fair critique, given the time period, too, when this was filmed. 2009, not when it was released. Right. Oh, yeah, especially 2008, 2009. Oh, given the rash of films that were coming out around that time, they were very nihilistic and, you know, we've covered a few of them. Oh, yeah, because you're right on the tail end of, like, the, uh, well, the French. Yes, and that was a big middle finger in a lot of ways, I think. You're right in the heyday of, like, the Saw movies yes. and Hostel. And would that be the beginning of, like, Human Centipede, or am I going too far no, forward? No, I think you're about right. I think that's when it started kicking off around that time, too. And I think even, I don't know necessarily about the same time, but even a big, big nasty came out around that time. A Serbian film. Oh, right. Yeah, so there were some pretty heavy-loaded films. I mean, there's a lot that I own. Not that I'm ashamed of it, but, I mean, in uh, their we, regard, we have, they're right. I mean, we have a fucking love of those movies for probably complex reasons if we right. were to sit here and actually try to talk through it. Jesus, but we can yeah, absolutely yeah. understand that they're movies that aren't for everyone. Exactly. The people who like to swim along the mainstream. But I understand their critique, and the way that they pull this off, too, is remarkable. 
Now, the thing is, though, I felt that this movie didn't critique torture porns, which is what that quote sort of attributes the writing of this movie to. Yeah. This is how this movie honestly plays off to me. It's a critique of how audiences are mad whenever a director tries to do something outside of a tried-and-true formula. And how it leads to a stagnation, and that's what leads to, like, series devolution, which we see in horror time and time again with... I mean, all the big slasher franchises definitely saw series devolution (sighs) throughout the series. They all fell into very specific formulas that when risks were taken, sometimes weren't always met with the best results. Yeah. Sometimes the risks were really just bad ideas. (laughs) But I think we see very recently fan bases get divided in sort of the same ways very recently with like The Last Jedi. Oh, yeah. Ryan Johnson took some very big risks with it and divided the fan base. There's a lot of people that hate that movie, a lot of people that love that movie. That is very, very true. I think that's an interesting way of looking at it, too, because with I think with any kind of fandom or any kind of fervor or any kind of devotion, there's going to be so much you know, subjection in points of view that you're going to have those splits. And you can argue for both sides. That's not really the point. <laughs> The thing I like about this is you did mention, like, I don't feel like anywhere in this film really they were pointing out their ideas or their thoughts about torture porn in any sense. Other like, than maybe that the end of this movie, as it builds towards its conclusion, which is the change of the status quo to something new as dictated by the ancient ones, as dictated by the audience. Right, exactly. Which, by the way, when the ancient ones show up, it's a giant human hand. Yeah. If that didn't fucking spell it out to you. <laughs> The ancient ones are the audience the entire time. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? I'm not trying to be like patronizing. I just realized that some people don't actually understand that that's kind of yeah. the analogy that this movie is making. It's a unique way of pulling that <laughs> off, too. You're right. I mean, it can go right over the top of your head. I mean, as it goes towards whatever new thing the ancient ones are going to make, the movie does get gorier and gorier. Yeah. But they never insinuate that that's a bad thing other than it's simply the end of what we have now which they kind of show as was brought on by their own stagnation. Yeah. I I don't know, (laughs) yeah. All right, I guess when watching this film, parts of what I like are when I notice some of the scenes, it's like, oh, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the scene out of... And the very Evil first Dead. one, well, yeah, cellar Evil door, Dead. right? Well, that's one. The very first one that really caught my eye was okay. when they pull into the gas station. It's like that's right out of the hills. hills have eyes. eyes, right out of it. And what's his name? Kind of looked like Michael Berryman to me in that. Oh yeah, in his role, Mordecai. Yeah, Mordecai. Yeah, Desarn. He does a really good job. But you're right, and I even like you said. There's a lot of allegory. He uses a lot of like kind of scriptural messaging to people. Now, and here's the other thing: if we're gonna pull out for a second and talk about how this movie's meta and you might have missed this the first time through and didn't catch everything about this movie he's not just the harbinger for the kids if you follow his conversation when he calls the other fox yeah if you listen to what he's saying he's warning them and then they explain the rules that they have to choose to ignore like they just chose to ignore him it is interesting like said how super meta that is too he tells him, he's like, I'll warn you, boy. And he spells it out to them. Yeah, how they're blind to see and this and that. Yeah. I can't remember his entire speech, but if you listen to it, he's it not talking about the kids. No, no, no. And he's talking, he and just he's lets trying them know to know that they're them. there for the offering. He is warning the dudes. <laughs> There's a bigger thing at stake. 
Well, another thing he's trying to warn them about is the fact that the fool almost outwitted him. And that's not good, because they have everything else accounted for. Literally everything else accounted for. So we're going to jump around for a second, because this is one of the genius things about this movie, I think, is how much is thought about. They tell you straight off that they're molding the kids into different roles. Fucking what's-her-name through the hair dye. Jules. Yeah, you're right, because that kind of triggers something, making her more... Ditzy. Ditzy, and as our character Marty says, a celebutard. And then they're pumping the place full of gas that is influencing some of their thoughts. Yes, some most of their actions because of their thoughts. They're, you know, they're piping in fucking little snippets for fucking subconsciously triggering them and shit. Yeah, I do like the exposition of how they're explaining that they just basically set the whole scenario up. They can influence things, but they can't really physically do things. They can just, you know, enhance the odds. <laughs> But here's the thing, it goes weirdly even more thought out than that. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, the stoner's the only one that they didn't account for. And that's literally played out. There's five of them, and all the other ones are made to switch their natural roles to be even more weakened. Yeah. <clears throat> the virgin, we see in the very beginning of the movie, is just getting out of having an affair with her teacher. Yeah. Where she keeps, like, the sketchpad drawings of him. And is now single. And she's only vowing to be a virgin for the weekend. Which is what the, the Institute warrior. is sort of grabbing onto. Right. As Sigourney Weaver points out, you know, we work with what we got. Precisely. Whereas her friend, Jules, mm-hmm. right? I can't even remember. It is. It's Jules. Uh, Dana and Jules. Yes. So yeah, Jules is turned into the whore, but she's... A fucking, what? A med student. She's pre-med. Yeah. So she's turned into her exact opposite. They're all made to be very weakened. Opposite of the... And she's in a committed relationship and the least likely (laughs) to actually be a whore. Exactly. Oops. Well, you're right. That's a good point. Even, you know, the athlete who's a sociology major. I was about to say, the jock is on a full full ride for for his brains, not for his fucking... Even though he's on the football team. Yeah, but that's not what he got them That's not what he got it for. He's a social major. Yeah. And the other guy who they turn into the scholar... The scholar, yeah. Just popped over, and he's, what, like the best athlete on the team. Yeah, it would appear that way. So they're made to switch roles. Yeah. There's nobody for Marty to switch roles with. He's just the stoner. He remains in that role. What I like about that. Here's something. All right, I'm going to jump to a real cool trivia thing about him. He was trained on how to roll joints prior to filming. He was coached up by people who have expertise in that field. The mug that is used in this film was specially made, and it oh. cost like $5,000. Oh, the travel mug costs yeah. like $5,000? Yeah, dude. Well, that's awesome because you can actually get it for like $70 on Amazon now. That's dope. No pun. Hell yeah. So that's what happened. They took the idea, ran with it. But it was like, that's brilliant. Because the first thing you see him is rolling up in that car, all stoned out. And they're, you know, making a big puff about it. No puns. But he comes out with that mug, dude. And anyhow, long story short, that he was trained up. He, quote unquote, claims that he doesn't smoke weed. I have my doubts. Right? Now, just this use of marijuana, it debtors the influences that headquarters has on him. <laughs> this is awesome. Well, and there was a neat little <laughs> reference buried in there. 
So the other problem Jeez. was the chemical lab fucked up and didn't treat his shit, which is revealed later on. The one gal keeps insisting. Yeah, she does. She's like, no, 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 we fucking treated the hell out of that batch. But then later on, towards the end, yeah, there's a really revealed. quick line where she's like, no, they fucked up. Like, yeah, she they does mention treated. that. Well... <laughs> In the very awesome. beginning, they're giving her shit because there was the one time they fucked up in 98, and it was chemistry, whatever they, what did he call it? Was it chemistry, chem lab? Yeah, he, he was basically saying it wasn't their fault, like, what they were doing, it was a different department's fault. He said, what department were you in? And then he drove off. Now, did you catch the reference? To that. 1998, chem lab's fault. Um, they're making horror movies, essentially. I would think, I'm not sure exactly, I hate to speculate too. All right. You want this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The faculty. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Everybody lives, and it's because of homemade drugs. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I didn't catch that. That's pretty awesome. Good for them, man. Well, considering when they were making a lot of those shows, it wouldn't make sense that they were referencing that. And that's a great film, too. I like that film a lot. Well, that's the thing. Later on in this movie is, like, nothing but references. Oh, yeah. You just when, mentioned when you, If you Dead. just want to break it down. like Yeah, so Evil Dead... Which is awesome in several ways with Evil Dead, actually. With right, the cabin. So the cabin was made to look like the cabin, wasn't it? Like they oh, couldn't find, man, they I couldn't hunt down so. the real one, and so they built one they did. that looked like the one in the movie, at least from the outside towards the As front. soon as they pull up to, I'll say this too, on the drive, on the way up, I felt, like this might be just me, but I felt like they were paying a nod a little bit to the driving. It could be in several films, but one we just covered too in The Shining, just the way that it, it's overhead. I think at least one of the bloody hallway with the elevator in the background shots in the end sequence, oh yeah, just because of the way it's framed is intended to be an homage to the shot. I can as imagine. Well. So I mean, that's a big one. Another one I thought was kind of neat. I don't want to say too many, but was with Marty again when he gets alone in the cabin, and he gets yanked out, gets pulled out by the window. It's like that's right out of Friday Thirteenth Part Four. Uh, exactly, which we covered. Yeah, and I was like, damn, that is fucking awesome, man. Well, and I was going to say, I mean, as far as Evil Dead is concerned, Evil Dead is the first third of this movie. Because oh, yeah. it's five friends go to a cabin, one of them ends up reading a strange <laughs> incantation from an old book in the cellar that yeah, brings the Latin. dead back to life. Oh, these, come on. Now, these are pain-worshipping, tortured redneck zombies. <laughs> <laughs> There's they are different species. <laughs> I thought that was funny, that but technically that would count as Evil Dead, I think. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now think about too. We'd mentioned that the cinematographer is Mr. Deming, so it would make perfect sense that they were going on that slant. Oh my God! I mean, when they first show the Falcon cellar door, the way that they oh, yeah. show it, it <laughs> like, looks oh, exactly shit. like it. Yeah, he's highway. It's the wind. How does that make any sense? <laughs> I thought it was awesome, and she gets dared to go down there, and that's when it kind of kicks off. And I like how they get transfixed with some of the objects. They're paying nods to, like, Hellraiser and... Oh, and you can sort of link, because you see most of the shit later on in the movie. Oh, yeah. You can sort of link almost oh, everything yeah, in the basement to what you see later on. Which I thought was a really cool play. You mentioned the Hellraiser. You have the pinhead stand-in, where saw blades and shit. But yeah. We had mentioned Fornicus. It's a very fucking easy reference to catch in this movie i would hope so you want to notice the other fucking here yeah movie going super meta again maybe something <laughs> that's not immediately noticeable upon first view they're all going to the different objects it depends who you know does what first you almost get the merman we do we almost you almost get the merman but then it's kind of like a race against time everyone's almost about to do something she reads from the book first mm-hmm 
what Marty was going for. The he's, film strips. Film strips. Yeah. And Money he's the meta aware character. Yeah. And he's going for a film. <laughs> it's pretty awesome, isn't it? <laughs> Makes sense. But it was interesting. Like that too. Like I said, there was a lot of nods to different, could be franchises, could just be films or just scenes in general. But just like how they incorporated that stuff into this film. But you're right. Once she reads the incantation in Latin, she unleashes the family we'd mentioned, the wonderful Buckner family. <laughs> And uh, she was reading out of the journal of Anna Patience Buckner. But apparently this family, they like to inflict torture on each other in pain and suffering. And they had a nice little room they called the Black Room, <laughs> which was funny. It might have been a kind of neat reference back to their goof because they initially wanted to name it the Dark Room. And mm. they're like, oh, the Dark Room is where you process film. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to change the name. But anyhow, yeah, it kind of kicks off... A nice series of events. That's when the killing starts to kind of ramp up and the fear and what you kind of get out of horror films starts to ramp up. So I'm going to jump back to a character we already talked about a little bit. So the Harbinger. Okay. Mordecai. Do you think he was a part of the organization? Mm. Or do you think he was given by the Ancient Ones like the rest of the creatures that they have locked up? I would tend to lean maybe towards that. Right, ladder. that's kind of what I was thinking. Is I don't that think he's actually a part of the sense. organization. I think no. he might be technically a creature given by the Ancient Ones. That would make sense that headquarters are using him to their advantage, but they're also taking advantage of it, if that makes sense. They're not paying attention to the finer details. But I like that. That's a good way of looking at that guy, knowing that he's giving them messages, mm-hmm. especially, and they're goofing him. I think that was... An interesting way of showing how a very funny scene, all they're doing is putting him on a speakerphone. Right. And he even gives some lines, too, where he's kind of straight with them. He's like, hey, do you, you got me on speakerphone. That was, you know, I almost gave a warning for this movie yeah. that you shouldn't watch this movie if you don't like Joss Whedon dialogue. Man, I thought it was funny, dude. Because <laughs> this movie's a fucking dark comedy, but it's the type of comedy it is, is the snappy, quickie. Quick. Just these little... Witty witty oh, yeah. no matter the situation though so sometimes it's like something very dire Serious, just happened yeah. and whoop they just swing in with something which is awesome i know um <laughs> dialogue that's constantly that quippy though isn't for everyone that's true in fact whedon is just on the edge of like what i'll accept like because in my opinion once you push past whedon then you get into like gilmore girls-esque oh, dialogue man. that's too and I, much that's too much for me and i think like just this side of like just the normal side of whedon is my sweet spot which is like the kevin smith zone yeah, it's kind of a nice jostling back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's like watching a tennis match. As but opposed I do to enjoy <laughs> me some weed and dialogue. But right. I, I almost gave that as a warning. Like, if you don't like <laughs> weed and dialogue, you should probably stay away from this movie. Yeah. That's a good point, too. Some of the dialogue is very quick and quippy, like you said, and witty. And you got to yeah, be on your toes. Oh, man, I thought that was so great. Because it's in the diary that they're reading, and then Marty uses it later. He's got a husband. Oh, isn't that like that's the best way to fucking kill a boner, too, right there? <laughs> I like how. After what that diary was saying, re bringing it back up like that. That's so funny. Marty, he mocks the fact that he's hearing those whispers in the house. And he's like, Whoa, I'm not going to be a puppet. Do what you tell me. I think with my own brain. I want to go for a walk. 
So that reminds me of something else. <laughs> I love that. Something else I was going to bring up, because it pertains a little bit more closely to us. Okay. Now, I feel like this movie does somewhat, uh, maybe not mock, but blame the audience for destruction of the classic genres. Yeah, I can see that. As I sort of explained before, the audience demanding it to be a certain way, yada, yada, yada. The character that causes it all in the end. <laughs> I think this movie kind of blames, basically people exactly like us who get really stoned and uh, watch movies to the point that we notice all the plot holes. <laughs> yes. Because that's, uh, that's Marty's entire job. And all he has to do is die, and he's not willing to sacrifice himself for the world. No, he's, like, he's like, if that's what it takes, then fuck the world. Yeah, just let it crumble. That's something new. And I'd like to think that I'd at least, like at that point, if I knew, oh, yeah. it's me or the world, I'll cannonball into the Ancient Ones fucking... Embrace. That's all you have to do is, like, when you get the fucking edge that Sigourney Wiener, Weaver went over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying because he's acting like a selfish dick. Yeah. <laughs> but that edge that Sigourney Weaver went over into this Ancient One's pit looked like, what, probably jumping into, like, even worse lava. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, that's got to be over quick enough. I would imagine. Once you hit that, it's over, yeah. So, I mean, at that point, if I knew it was me or the world, I'd probably jump in. But yeah. this movie's blaming the stoners that sit around <laughs> and notice literally plot holes big enough that you can drive an RV through. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true, man. It's funny. They're playing off those tropes, but you're right. Somebody has to have the blame. But he's pulling all that shit out. He always makes them. I thought it was funny how he's like, what the fuck is this? His reaction to all that stuff is like, this doesn't make sense. This isn't happening. He finds the camera. Yeah, mm -hmm. It's funny, man. But you're right. I think it is a weird way of pointing us out <laughs> for the obvious. So here's the thing, too. He's responsible for the plot hole that you could literally drive an RV through. The cave should have fucking exploded. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was after he supposedly died. <laughs> but had been fucking with the electronics enough to find that elevator. Yeah. When he was fucking with the electronics, they said that the disturbance didn't come from down below, which was the ancient one, so that was the only time in the script that they said it came from up above. Yep, exactly. Yeah, because he even points out that he's been fucking around with that shit. <laughs> and so he caused the disturbance... That didn't cause the explosion... Which is, in any other movie, that's those moments where the stoners who've watched this movie 50 times in a row and are contemplating life while just staring at the screen <laughs> realize, yeah. wait, why didn't they just get out of here like this? End of movie. <laughs> yeah. So the movie's kind of placing all the blame on Marty, and I don't think that's fair. It's not that's, fair. that's exactly what we do every week. <laughs> all we're trying to do is make these things better. That's all that is. But you're right. They're making fun. But I can take it. I thought it was good. Whatever. <laughs> Not going to stop me. I'll put it that way. But I don't know, man. Like, I just like the way they incorporated a lot of those references. There is some bigger themes at stake, too. Like you were talking about how audiences, depending on <laughs> what's hot and what's not at the time, too, can influence directions of how certain themes or even certain, I don't know, watered-down aspects of horror can get, you know? I'm kind of guilty of not going to see the latest, hottest horror film, per se, at the theater, as opposed to maybe seeing or taking in that something that's independent. Mm -hmm. That's kind of more my, you know, <laughs> where I'm at. But that's no discredit either. I just feel like things can be done a certain way where it's not overdone. You know, still play with the formula, take a few risks here and there, and have fun with it. And that's what these guys did. 
Yeah, oh, I agree. I'm just, when it gets down to, I've always just been confused to how warmly this has been received by oh, man, it gets people praise. that it's kind of making fun of sometimes. Here's something I think is really funny. We mentioned these guys before, Siskel and Ebert, and you should look to see what Ebert has to say. He loves his phone. Oh, good. Yeah, which I think, once again, it's like, I understand why he would like it, like any other audience member, but maybe he's missing the big picture here, too, because he generally shits on films that are in this genre. If they don't play with certain themes, I feel like they have to hit on certain aspects. And if it doesn't play with that, if it's just gore, and if it's just a slasher or something of that nature, it usually gets dumped on, which isn't always fair. Most times it is, but not always. Mm-hmm. God, this movie's so great. There's so talk, many we haven't really talked about so, the creatures. No, I mean, I wait a little gonna, bit. Well, before we get to the creatures themselves, did, and this is on that's just okay. another thing that's probably a reference just because of this movie, did the way that the creatures were housed and shut make you think of Cube? Yes. Oh, yes, I was thinking that. Just knowing that they were in those boxes. I, I just wanted to make sure going. I wasn't the only one that no, was no, like, no. oh, cute. So there's I was cube. totally thinking that. I mean, that's that's almost a slap in the face, in a way, if you don't catch it. Here's another one, too, I thought was kind of neat. I think it's a cross-reference, because they're using another reference in its place. There's a scene with Marty. He says he's going to go read a book with pictures. And then later you see him laying on the bed, and he's reading a Little Nemo. Mm-hmm. And he says, he's like, yo, Nemo, you got to wake up. He's like, your whole world's topsy-turvy. Now, yes, but knowing who also worked on the special effects team on this, I was thinking maybe that's a clever way of them incorporating a nightmare on Elm Street in this film as being oh. inside of a nightmare. And even Lynn, the lady that works in the headquarters, with I'm trying to think of all these names, <laughs> but with Richard Jenkins and, and Bradley Whitford, she's the, the little lab coat girl. She's pointing out that these things are they're not like a product of nightmares. They are nightmares. Nightmares come from being scared of the things that the Ancient Ones inflict upon humanity since the beginning. Right. It wasn't like and they... these are what... Yeah, it was more... I think it was, they were playing more with the dreamscape mm-hmm. of it, more so than like the fucking hand and shit. But I was like, nah, that's kind of interesting. They were doing two references at the same time with that one. They were talking about Lil Nemo. But I think they were also talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, but anyway, that's that. something that I was thought maybe they were doing. Creature-wise, they ramp it up at the end, right? Jesus. They so... really unleash it. Werewolf? Yeah. Well, okay. Glad you said werewolf. Reason that... Because <laughs> I mentioned Sigourney Weaver was obsessed with a character on this film. She was obsessed with the werewolf on this film. She wanted to be in a scene with a werewolf, right? She... That was basically the reason she did this movie or like, something like that? I can't remember the exact... But while she was on set, every day she was looking for the werewolf because, she, for whatever reason, I just think of the dominance and yeah, the fact that it's a werewolf. And how many days was she on set? Because she's seriously in like five minutes of this. Yeah, movie. she's not in very much of it. I'd hate to guess. I don't think they ever really said. I, I honestly kind of feel like they probably could have done all of hers in just a like few a days. day. Yeah, maybe best. a day of her actually on set and yeah. like another day of. Some ADR. Her doing that. Yeah, of the, well, because there's that voiceover that she has earlier on before yeah. you actually see her. Yeah, I can see that. It's like being pumped in through the like intercom or something. Yeah, she's pointing out things to characters. Oh, yeah, because this movie does stop and explain a lot of shit to you, just not all of it. No, I think it paints enough of the picture. To, hopefully, you can piece that shit together, you would mm-hmm. think. 
But yeah, I think it was really cool that she was involved with this. Her character was kind of interesting too. I mean, she didn't really do a whole lot except for try to keep things in order. I did like how in the opening credits too, it kind of tells you a lot of things if you pay attention to what it's showing. Because in those blood splots, they're showing like old paintings of sacrifices. Yeah, this has been going on forever. Right. So it's telling you a historical story in the frame of sacrifices. And she mentions later, like, it changes over time, but there's always something that's demanded, and this is what it is now. (laughs) And then, of course, when we get Marty and Dana down there, she spells it out. And it also seems to be cultural-specific. Yeah, she even mentions that, too. Yeah, she mentions that, but before that, we see the Kyoto incident. Yeah, we see Kyoto. That That is so (laughs) fucking hilarious. No, hold on. That's a Ghostbusters thing, too, man. I mean, but it is funny. They're all in a circle singing a song, and they turn her to a toad. It's a Kiko will live happily as a frog. (laughs) Or, like, her spirit will live as this frog happily. Like, God damn, that was funny. <laughs> oh, my God. Great. Who was it? Sweden fucked up initially at first. But then there's those scenarios of all over the world, it's fucking up. The society, in a sense, is crumbling. Mm-hmm. Those cultural memes, as opposed to, are crumbling, which I think that's kind of an interesting theme that they're putting into the film. Certain societies are crumbling, mm-hmm. depending on... Or the, certain ideas, at least. Yeah, not, not necessarily yeah. The, yeah, the infrastructure, but just... Yeah, some of the, the ideas, some of the folklores, tales, whatnot. But <laughs> it was a funny tale. It was a clever way of ending that. God damn. <laughs> oh, man. I did not see that coming when I first watched the movie, but I was looking forward to it when it finally got there. <laughs> I like how Richard Jenkins, too, he got pissed. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck oh, you. That was so good, man. He lost it. That was, <laughs> that was awesome, though. He even starts to, I've, I feel like he wants to help at the end. Oh, yeah. He tells Dana what to do, what yeah, she yeah. needs to do. But to save the world. Nope. Mm-mm. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> There's some funny things, man. They even play with the men being in the control room, watching the screen of Jules and Kurt, Thor. Yeah, that was funny. Where they're, you know. About to get it on. Um, and all he wants to see are some boobies. And we do see some boobies. We mentioned uh, that. Oh, so we were on the creatures, though. So werewolf, then yeah. what else do we got? We got Fornicus. Yes, Fornicus. What was Who's he obviously Pinhead. Oh, man. If you can't see that. Even him playing with that. It wasn't the box. It was the sphere. And you had basically the strangers. Yes. Which that was, was really dolls. cool. I like that. The crazy fucking sugar plum fairy. Oh, yeah. Uh, giant snake. Giant spider. Giant bat. Man, there was so much shit they were throwing at us. The witch uh, floating. Witch. Uh, yeah. It looked like a. I think it was a demon that throws the body that hits the camera after that first scene. Splat. There's a lot um, of cool stuff in there. When they do the pullout on the cells, if you're paying attention, you can actually see the four specials from Left for Dead. Oh, cool. The hunter, the. What is it? The hunter tank, witch. I'm not going to tell you all of them. Boomer? I can't remember their fucking names. I used to play that game, too. I feel bad about that. No, there was actually supposed to be a tie-in with the Left 4 Dead game that it never came to fruition, but they already had these zombie models in the movie, and they didn't feel out of place so that there wasn't (laughs) any need to replace them. So you can actually (laughs) see the four specials in one of the... That's really cool. Nice, man. Yeah. So look how much stuff they're throwing at us. So meta. So meta. Um, I would be willing to bet during that last Carnage segment 
that that ghost child tormenting that soldier. Yeah. Um, yeah. If they're referencing Left for Dead around the same time period, mm-hmm. I bet that they would be referencing Fear with First Encounter Assault Recon. Damn, that's pretty cool. Which I played the shit out of that game as well. Yeah, and I that can was, see how they would incorporate video games as well. There was multiple times in that end carnage scene where they seemed to evoke things from Fear. God, what else did I catch? Huh. There's the twins from The Shining. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's in The Shining references, yeah. There's the nurses from Silent Hill. There are, yes. Oh, Gosh, shit. there's a lot of stuff in here, isn't there? I'm trying to think. God damn, yeah, there's so much fucking... I mean, there's a killer clown. Yeah. Who just kind of well, just seems to be like a generic killer clown. Here's something cool about that little piece of trivia. The guy who played the clown in this mm-hmm. film... He was a choreographer. Like, he directed the rest of the creatures in this film, the people who play the creatures, how to, their movements. So he was a movement choreographer. And they're like, how scary is that, that we have a clown on set who's going to choreograph the movements of the rest of these monsters in this film? Right. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. Oh, there's normal zombies. Yes, there are. There's a kraken that pulls up the chem lab chick. There's the merman. (laughs) That is so good. Here's something cool about this film, too. Throw in some more trivia. During that sequence, they said that when they were squirting the blood, because I like how they didn't overdo it Mm -hmm. in the final cut, but during the initial filming of it, they were pumping so much blood. They said it literally took them like five minutes to pump all the blood out while Bradley Whitford's laying there and the merman's munching on him. And it's just like fountains of blood. It was starting to pool on the ground. He used a lot of blood in this film. Now, it seemed to me that the way that the bodies were arranged and the fact that they included zombies meant that one of those cuts in the carnage scene seemed to evoke the end scene of Dead Alive to me. Maybe oh, not yeah, a direct yeah. reference. I can but see that. There's a splatter I got that feel from it. Oh man, that's total splatter. Oh shit, what else was there? That's a pretty good reference. I mean that's the zombies themselves are big Romero reference. How can they not yeah, be? Yeah, of course. We mentioned like there's a spirit flying around and all Yeah. I mean they were playing on those usually Japanese stories or ghost tales. Oh, there's the scarecrows. They that were. pulled the dude apart before he blasts himself. Well, they don't fully pull him apart before he gets the grenade off. Oh, and that man. really gets him That apart. was really cool. <laughs> that's what starts the whole shit with Whitford's demise. He hears the ring and that's over. <laughs> Here comes Merman. I think we got most of it. I think... Oh, the I unicorn. Think, yeah, the unicorn. Oh, here's something cool about the unicorn. All right. Joss Whedon said that when he and Drew Goddard were at the Comic-Con convention, Drew Goddard got a t-shirt. That had a unicorn and a werewolf on it, and it had something of the effect like, now it's on, or let's get it on, or some something to, to that effect. Okay. And he said, like, oh, man, he was so jealous. He's like, he's still jealous. He said, but that was kind of like a catalyst for them to write this script for this. The interesting thing about the script is that it took them basically a weekend. They knew that working together on some of their previous projects like Buffy and Angel and shit like that, that they wanted to do a horror film. They apparently had some projects before that weren't quite successful leading up to this project. Okay. And so long story short, they got together, started writing the script. One was upstairs, one was downstairs, I guess in a hotel room. They got together to collaborate on what they came to grips with. And even in the deviations of like continuity... They knew, like, even if one had a gripe with the other, the, the other one, like, yeah, 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 I, yeah, we need to fix that. They were comfortable writing alone, but when mm-hmm. they got together, like, a lot of their shit lined up is what I'm getting at. But it's just the fact that it took them three days to write the entire script. Yeah, that's insane. Unbelievable. They wanted to do this film real bad, but knowing the fact that 
that t-shirt was kind of a catalyst. That's why they put the unicorn in it. But I mentioned that Lincoln Camp, her husband and her father-in-law, the father-in-law is the one who helped put together that whole shit for the unicorn and the werewolf and all kinds of stuff, man. Now, and whether they thought about it or not, something interesting with the unicorn would be for the American audiences, the thing is the final girl has to either die or not die, but she has to be last. Yeah, makes sense. And that's the virgin. Unicorn lore is they don't attack virgins. That's the only ones that can tame them. They kill everybody else that comes close. Man, as soon as I saw that, too, I was like, I wonder how much of that is also the film Legend. Mm. That's another 80s film. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a little stretch, but I can see that, too. Uh, there's the alien from Aliens. Oh, you, don't yeah. get a, you don't get a good <laughs> no, look at yeah, it, but, but you get is. a foot. It's pretty dope, man. Just all that shit thrown at us. And actually, <laughs> let's see. If you pause on the betting board... Okay. There's some interesting things. I didn't read all of them, yeah. So here's just a couple of them. <laughs> Biomed actually are the ones that bet on Alien Beast. Nice. <laughs> just to amp up the Evil Dead references, the Wranglers actually choose Angry Molesting Tree. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> nice. You want to go super meta? Yes, of course. Yes. Story bets on Deadites. No shit. She reads from a book to bring back... Now, technically, it's a zombie redneck torture family that yeah. wins because it's specifically the Buckners. But story bets on deadites. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Sort of a joke. Research and development chooses Huron, which is something that, of course, research and development would choose because you'd have to research like Native American lore to even get close to what that is. <laughs> That's funny. Some of these other ones aren't as funny. but I wonder what zoology, what they were actually betting on it's like trust me it's real <laughs> what the guy that said. has to be the unicorn right that's a reference to the unicorn I would, yeah i would think so that, that would make sense <laughs> that's pretty awesome <laughs> so there was something else that you might not catch the first time because one of the characters sort of throws it off okay when they announce that marty has died there's an earthquake there is that tremor and richard hadley or am I, is that his name fuck i what terrible is Hadley? Yeah. Anyway, dude's like, oh, sounds like we excited somebody down below. But that's the rumblings of displeasure, because he's yes. not dead. Now, and they released that ritual that stick blood. I wish that we would have got to see him fucking pulpify that zombie. Yeah. Because you see that <clears throat> splat come out from that. Yeah, but not... And it seems like he's fucked at that point. Yeah, too. it's implied that he got whacked. And for anybody who thinks that it's maybe not realistic that the skeevy stoner character was able to stand up to that zombie, I would actually have you take a look at how much he's just slouching and wearing really baggy clothing throughout this entire movie. Mm -hmm. Because Fran Kranz in this movie is actually about as ripped as Chris Hemsworth. I read that. I want to show you this. Okay. Here's a picture of him topless. Yeah, we went Dude's cut. Yeah. Yeah, he's in pretty good shape, I would say. Comparatively, yes. You're Dude's right, like he's the only one who doesn't 11, go swimming. 200 of muscle. Yeah, it's just lean. This guy's super lean. And there's a couple times towards the end of the movie where he shed one of his layers, and he sort of stands up accidentally a little bit rather than sl- <laughs> Slouch- like slouches yeah. over. And I think he's more broad across than Hemsworth is in this wow. movie. Of I course, this that, is yeah. before Hemsworth put on his fucking Thor before wave, he, Yeah, before he became the hammer. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is not the hammer. The hammer no. is fucking Hemsworth's mighty Thorcock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's phallic. By the way, that was a Dr. Horrible reference. Ooh. you got to watch that shit. I'm nice. telling you, Whedon's okay. the shit on that. I'll check anyway. it out. I'll give it a go. But no, just knowing that the fact, too, that they like to use a lot of the actors that have been on some of their previous projects. That's a cool way of getting some really good actors to be a part of it. And he did a great job. Amy Acker, she did a great job as Lynn. She sold her character. I think everybody in the project themselves just did a great job. It seemed like it was a lot of fun to shoot. Apparently, the very first shot that Goddard filmed was a sequence at the gas station. And it had been, like, snowing like we had a little bit last night. <laughs> Snow like a oh, mother okay. sucker. So they had a lot of problems with that. And they were having a lot of problems, too, with getting a lot of this stuff filmed on time. Especially the creatures, just because there was so much. It was mostly practical. Yeah, it was mostly practical effects, except for the times where they sort of had to. Gosh, man. Some of the Buckners, you know, the people who played the characters, it took them at sometimes up to like eight hours for full makeup. It's like prosthetics, getting all the details, their wigs and all that shit. Wardrobe, it's like, that's on a daily. And that's the thing. I kind of, overall, with how good they did on all the costuming, Amazing. All the makeup, all the effects. I wish that we had like a two-hour version of this movie oh, with like 10 more minutes of the Buckners and 20 more minutes of just Carnage at the end. Oh, dude. Just go full-on exploitation and go fucking nuts with it. They could have gone really grindhousey with it. I, I mean, it gets too. pretty fucking nutters. But... It does, and I like that. Not that it's you don't get it for very long, just that burst. But yeah, I mean, they could have really ramped it up, given... There's a lot of money on this project. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, there's some fucked up shit on those monitors, too. Oh, they talked about that, too. I love the ballerina dancing around with with blood all on the walls and shit. Oh, it's so fucking cool looking. I think I said just about everything I want to say about this movie, though. Everything I had. Yeah, I think for people who are really interested in seeing how much homage is thrown, and not only that, but even some of the, I won't say mocking per se, but some of the, like, uh, ways that these guys are saying, hey, this is how audiences influence things and how it has these ramifications, the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting, man. But it's a good film, nonetheless, regardless if that's how far you look into it. But it has, a within itself, a larger story to tell outside of this film. Yeah, I agree with that. And also kind of fun to see Hemsworth before he was a star. It is. It really is. Like I said, everybody does a great job. Hemsworth before Thor... You get to see Jenkins before Shape, Shape of Water. Of water Dick commenting Chippen. on, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to see a merman. Yeah, the mess to clean up after. Yeah, and then we just watched him in a movie with a merman. We did not once but twice. <laughs> Two Richard Jenkins merman movies. That is funny. In a month, I never thought that would happen. It happened. It's a first, but Chickory Dick. Chickory Dick. Dick Chickory. <laughs> no, we were having fun with that, but he does a great job. Whitford before Get Out. Right. You know, so, I mean, some really cool stuff beforehand. So, you know, this could have been a really cool catalyst for some of those projects. Who knows? A lot yeah. of Canadians. Overall, I really, I mean, I fucking love this movie. It is awesome. Um, like I said, I'm glad we got to do it. I know we were kind of all over the map with it, but that just shows you how much fun it is and how much we took away from it, too. I'm trying to think if there's any other references that I caught in it, just because now I have that entire end scene oh, replaying man. in my head. But. Well, that's the fun thing, too, is we can revisit it and probably catch more, all kinds of shit. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there's, there's other things in there we're definitely missing. If there are things in there that we're definitely yeah. missing, you can hit us up and let us know. <laughs> that's um, a good segue, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Danny. <laughs> so we do, as always, have our Twitter, at Fried Squirms. 
Instagram, Fried Squirms Podcast. We you like can pictures. email us, squirmcast at gmail.com. Find us up on the Facebooks, Fried Squirms, or facebook.com slash fscast. Yeah. And our own website, friedsquirms.com, which, I mean, you can email us straight from there. We know that works. Yeah, it works. Mark um, one. You can actually stream the latest episode from there as well. Stream the latest episode from the bottom of the page, or there's links to all the most popular streaming services, or at least most of the most popular ones. And we might see about some of the other ones coming Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Hopefully. But we would very much love it if you hit subscribe on however you're listening to us right now. Yeah. Or, you know, if you have another way that you would prefer to listen to us, go see if we're on there. We hope we are. If we're not, let us know. We'll get there. That's a good point. Not only that, but I'm enjoying the run of films that we're doing. It's been a good year. We've got some really cool projects lined up. Give us some feedback. Not only that, give us some recommendations. We like to do those, too. And this was a fun number 60. Like I said, we, due to the meta nature, we specifically held back for a long time. Not because this really comments very deeply on any particular horror thing, but we just sort of felt it was a fun way to sort of cap off not cap off it's not like it was episode 50 <laughs> yeah, I know. it's just episode 60 but it's to sort of have something to commemorate the fact that we've gotten this far in it yeah and we hope to be doing at least 60 more that'd be fun yeah shit we're gonna keep going on this yeah man uh, and hear us keep going on this keep listening but until then i'm danny i'm tyler fried squirms out, out.